Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Free Association. Let's just sort my volume out. Here we go. 50%-ish. It normally works. So let's give it a try. Um, I've got some clips to play from GB News. It's a, it's a Tory election day. Uh, there's a vote of no confidence going on in... Boris Johnson's government, but he's going to win that. And uh, that's nothing to worry about, really. The interesting thing that's going on is the leadership election still. So there's been a fair bit of comment. Tom Tugendhat was eliminated tonight. It's a, it's a beauty contest, basically. So the, the losing candidate, the candidate with the least number of votes, drops out until, the, until we're left with two. That's how the Tories do it, and it's uh, it's public. I mean, the, the voting isn't public, but the the results and the preliminaries and the um, public debates are public. So let's see what GB News has to say. I've listened to a couple of these things, but uh, there's a good deal of comment going on. Nigel Farage. In particular, always has something to say. Ask you of these remaining Conservative candidates, who would you vote for? I have to say, I thought Sweater Braverman last week said some bright things, but it was obvious she wouldn't get very far. The one candidate prepared to say we should leave the ECHR. It's the only way we can get back control of our borders. And since then, I have to say, Kemi Badnock has really set this alight by actually being prepared to stand up and say she doesn't want our kids at school and university poisoned with critical race theory, being told that everything about this country and its past is something to be ashamed of. But I very much doubt she will make the last two. And I very much doubt now that Penny Morton is going to make the last two because she's been exposed as somebody who frankly isn't telling the truth. And hey, we just got rid of a prime minister because he couldn't tell the truth. So it's probably going to be Truss against Sunak. It's probably going to be the great globalist, the man who has family links and interest to businesses in China, who is happy to work hand in glove with all the big banks, who's helped raise our taxes to the highest in 70 years, against somebody who, and I can't blame her, for going on the CND marches. After all, she was a kid and her parents were hard left activists. But as an adult, she was a Liberal Democrat activist. She spoke at the Lib Dem conference. She wants, she wanted then at least to abolish the monarchy. She voted Remain. She voted three times for Mrs. May's dreadful deal. And yet suddenly the ERG and prominent Eurosceptics think she's the one. My guess right now, is that she will get through to the last two, and she will win. I think the Conservative Party are making a dreadful mistake. I think it's Theresa May 2.0. Yes, she was a Remainer, but it'll be okay. It won't be okay, and I don't believe she can connect with the Red Wall. Johnson has been having a bit more fun today, hasn't Indeed, he? if you like your politics to be entertaining, it's been quite an entertaining <laughs> day in Parliament. Um, actually, enormously good fun in the sense that there's been this vote of confidence, very strange, in that Labour wanted to push it last week. The government said no, and then 
Young Bowl, the government decided to hold a vote of confidence in itself, uh, which is pretty unusual. Also a bit ridiculous in the sense it's not going to yeah. go anywhere. Conservative MPs are not going to vote for a general election. I'm not even entirely convinced the Labour Party want a general election. They're certainly not prepared uh, for one, but it's the theatre of politics. And we saw a very bullish uh, Prime Minister today uh, talking clearly about his record within government, trying to defend the actions around the pandemic and his support for Kiev. I think at one stage she said he was more popular in the streets of Kiev than he was on the streets of Kensington, which is true, probably true. Yeah. Uh, and also clearly getting Brexit done, as he would claim. And he took interventions from Jeremy Corbyn. He was clearly having quite a lot of fun. It was really, really interesting. In saying that, there was that sense of kind of, as you find with these things, the kind of, you know, he was enjoying himself, but the authority draining almost minute by minute with MPs knowing in that place across the water that in the end of the day, his days are now numbered. Margaret Thatcher in 1990, perhaps yes. in her most relaxed in the House of Commons in her last ever speech. But you say, I'm enjoying this, yes. I'm enjoying this. And what was that sense with, with, with Boris yeah. uh, today? Interestingly, with the person sat next to Boris Johnson, of course, the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss. I mean, talking about trying to send the most deliberate signal possible, she has repeatedly said throughout the weekend in those TV debates that she's been the one that's been loyal to Boris Johnson. She didn't resign. Though it must be noted, she, she didn't hold her hand up yesterday when asked whether the Prime Minister would serve in her, in her future cabinet. Uh, but yes, she is essentially the tacit, I've got the tacit agreement of Downing Street in this leadership contest on Diet And Keir Starmer was quite punchy and bold again today. You know, I think it's, it's a pretty easy game of cricket in some ways for Keir Starmer in, in, on these occasions, repeatedly challenging all those Conservative MPs who were cheering on the Prime Minister, saying that only a matter of weeks ago you were writing letters. Days ago. Calling, <laughs> calling for him to go yeah. because you frankly couldn't trust him. So it was great politics, yeah. it was great theatre, great parliamentary theatre, but ultimately at the end of the day, when the vote comes at 10pm tonight, don't expect any great No, surprises. absolutely. I have to call out car alarm going off outside. There's already been somebody had a brick through the window this evening. Anne Levity, the Executive Chief People Officer of North East and North Cumbria Integrated Care Board, she said this, the funding for this role fits within the current budget allocation that we get. And as a result of restructure, an opportunity has allowed us to create this very important role within the senior leadership team. So she's got the money for it, basically. I mean, that, that again, that, I mean, that, okay, I respect that uh, we've got that statement now, but for me, if you have the money for it, that money could be going, I would be looking at paying more training for nurses, I'd be putting that money in improving waiting lists in some way, or I'd be putting that money in something else. I just don't think it's the best place to be spent in that way. I suppose the question for the NHS trusting question, like, why is it they believe this to be the case? And I think it's not that like, kind of, they would be the best place to answer. I certainly can't sit here and say, well, what hiring decisions do and don't make sense. I'm quite. Do you think that quite, the diversity inclusion roles are a good idea? Though? Depends on the situation and circumstance. I can't evaluate yeah, I, an outside organisation from a. I agree nature. with you that the decisions on these things are context specific, and whether they're good or not depend on the reasons. But what we just got there in the statement is actually circular. Mm. You know, we have the money and we're, we're going to do it. it. And that's actually no justification at all. And the point with the national healthcare system, just like anything else, is that you only have a finite budget. 
that which you take out of pot A is not going to go into pot B. Mm. And that's twofold. First of all, that money that isn't going into frontline services, into medicine and so forth. But the second thing is that when people see spending like that, some will resent spending on the NHS per se. Mm. And when spending, on, people will always argue that spending on the NHS isn't high enough. And I understand that the, the, the passion that drives that, that belief. But when the NHS spending is already at the highest level it's ever been, some people are going to look at their tax burden, look at what we spend on the healthcare system and say, well, if it's going to this sort of thing, I disapprove of it. And it's a bit like the discussion we were having before about Prince Harry. This tarnishes the brand beyond just the thing. People don't look at this and say, oh, this is just an, a, a, an officer in the northeast of England. They say bureaucracy. And they say, ah, oh, to hell with the NHS. And if you're going to defend it, you're going to have to do better than that. That's, that's a very some questions in polling over this weekend, questions that nobody ever asks. Explain. Well, one of my frustrations with how we talk about the country is we often talk about it from a very London perspective, and we tend to think that many of the things that we talk about among the chattering classes are the things that animate most people, and actually that's really not the case. So I looked at a number of uh, policy positions over the last uh, week that have been associated with one of the leadership candidates, uh, Penny Mordaunt, and I just asked people, how do you really feel about these? So to give you one example, I asked them, do you think that we should refer to pregnant women as pregnant persons, which is... Uh, very fashionable thing to say among some quarters, and I found that actually only 5% of the country think we should do that. Most people actually do not want to view uh, uh, you know, that issue in that particular way. And on a whole host of other issues I'm sure we'll talk about, I found much the same. This really strong disconnect on these cultural questions, and to, to echo you, I think, I don't call these issues culture war issues because when you talk about women's rights and when you talk about freedom of speech, when you talk about how we teach our children in schools and universities, that's not a culture war. Those are issues that most people in the country want to talk about. How has Westminster become so disconnected then? I think partly it's about the way in which our institutions have become very skewed towards university graduates and we know that if you look at politics, if you look at media, if you look at the creative industries, cultural institutions, they do lean very heavily towards uh, people with university degrees, often from Oxbridge, Russell Group institutions, and we know that those people tend to be much more liberal, uh, socially liberal, uh, typically than other voters. And we also know that over the last five years, a section of that group has become a little bit more radical than we might expect. So so-called radical progressives or woke uh, is the word that many people use. And on issues around um, history, uh, the idea that we should just, you know, look at uh, British history as being a bad thing. Yeah, so you, are, embarrassment. you asked the question um, of the empire, which I found fascinating. Yeah, we asked the question, we said, do you think that um, the British empire uh, is mainly uh, a legacy of destruction, has mainly left a legacy of destruction, which is often the, the argument you hear in many of the newspapers and so on. Uh, actually, only a minority of people really think that. Only about 22, 23% of people really share that view. And we also asked about television programs in the past. We asked about how do you feel about Dad's Army, which, of course, Penny Morden in her book has said, um, essentially, these are a source of shame, that they're sort of casually racist and oppressive. She's a conservative. Um, also associated those programs with ideas like white privilege and things like that. And we said to people, well, do you think these programs are a source of embarrassment? And only 20% 
said they, they felt that way. For many people, of course, you know, these big television programs, you know, Dad's Army, It Ain't Half Hot Mum, it's part of their collective memory. It's part of how they think about their British identity. And it's also something that brings us together. Of course, people tend to forget we used to only have four television channels. Millions of people would sit around watching these programs. And so to simply say, well, this is a past and we want to erase it and forget about it like it doesn't matter to us anymore. Actually, a lot of people don't feel that way. Uh, and you can see from the charts I've, I've put on Twitter today, uh, only a minority of people really view Britain through this lens. And when we get to the Red Wall, of course, these views are stronger, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Red Wall voters, they are more culturally conservative. They're more traditionalist, um, typically, especially working class voters, people that, you know, have worked uh, from the age of 16, have gone through vocational programs, technical training and so on. And um, they tend to want to talk about immigration, want to talk about free speech. You know, they want to talk about um, really issues that matter to them and might not matter to, you know, Islington and, um, you know, uh, North London. So um, that disconnect, of course, is why Labour came unstuck with those voters. I don't need to tell your viewers that one of the big stories here is about a Labour Party that became really culturally disconnected from a large number of people. But now I bet you, I bet you that they're looking at these Conservative leadership candidates. Well, and is, isn't, this the point? isn't this the point? I mean, Kemi Badenoch has dared to talk about these issues that you're talking about, but is extremely unlikely to get through to the last two. When it comes to Sunak, when it comes to Morden, and when it comes to Liz Truss, I mean, they're not going to talk about any of these things, are they? Well, as you say, I mean, I think Kemi has talked about some of them, but she's not got that profile. She's not, some would say, hasn't got that experience, but of course, you know, maybe we don't want experience in the, in the sort of Westminster sense. Um, but at the same time, I think if you look at... Um, if you look at Rishi Sunak front runners, I think there is a trend of conservatives that views these issues as below them. It's actually stuff. It's not very respectable. It's not sort of establishment politics. But for many people out there, they do want to talk about yeah. what's happening in schools. They do want to talk about what's happening in media, in creative industries. They want to talk about why the films we produce, the television programs we produce, the adverts they see on television, the way in which we talk about the country and we talk about our history, don't actually reflect the country that they know and they love. So my message really to these leadership candidates is... We need to get more voices into these institutions. We need to diversify these institutions. And we need to make clear that, you know, the sort of 20-odd percent that dominate uh, in the country that dominate these institutions are going to have to start to make room for other people who have other beliefs, other backgrounds. And I think that's ultimately the only way we're going to get through this era of polarization that we're seeing in America and Britain and elsewhere. Warnings are absolutely everywhere. As I mentioned earlier, I drove in through South London. It was like the first lockdown. Nobody on the streets, very few cars on the road, people not even out in the parks. And it seemed to me that whilst it's hot, it's a dry heat. It's not an unpleasant heat. Indeed, I worked in these temperatures 
when I went to Strasbourg every single July, and life seemed to carry on as normal. Quite why in a country that obsesses about climate change, we have tarmac melting at Luton Airport, is quite beyond me. It doesn't do that in the Middle East or elsewhere. So my view on it, common sense view on it, is I'm sick to death of being told it's going to snow, stay at home. There's an Atlantic storm coming. Please stay at home. There is a risk to life. And now with this heat wave, and whilst I accept it's exceptional, aren't we slightly overdoing it? Well, joining me is Professor Liz Bentley, a British meteorologist and chief executive of the Royal Meteorological Society. Liz, good evening. Welcome to the programme. I know these are exceptional temperatures, uh, but isn't the hysteria, isn't the fear that's being spread uh, by government and by meteorologists, isn't it just a little bit over the top? So I don't think so, because it is exceptional heat for us here in the UK. So temperatures today reach 38.1. That's very close to our all-time record of 38.7 recorded three years ago. And tomorrow we're going to go even higher. So temperatures forecast to be over 40 degrees tomorrow. We haven't seen temperatures like that in the UK. And as you said earlier, we haven't got the infrastructure here in the UK to, to deal with those temperatures. You know, average temperatures this time of year should be about 23, 24 degrees. And our infrastructure really just can't cope once those temperatures creep into mid to high 30s. No, I mean, that is, of course, a source of embarrassment. As I say, you know, going just a few hours away to Strasbourg, I don't remember roads melting or trains not running or, you know, when these are very, very normal temperatures. And OK, we're not perhaps equipped to cope. But when it comes to saying to people, stay at home, you know, even for fit, healthy people, these are dangerous temperatures. Liz, I mean, my view is, and I repeat the point, it's a dry heat, humidity feels quite low in the air, and provided you're sensible, use sunscreen, wear a hat, drink some water, shouldn't people actually be outgoing for a few hours a day to enjoy this exceptional weather? Well, we do have, I mean, the science does show that if the temperature gets above about 27 degrees, then the mortality rate increases, not just in this country, but elsewhere as well. And I think it's just been sensible, hence the warnings that are in place, the red warning from the Met Office because of exceptionally, you know, unprecedented temperatures. As I say, we're likely to see records being broken tomorrow. Um, and then the heat health warning as well, because when we get to those temperatures to mid to high 30s, our bodies really struggle, not just with the daytime temperature, but nighttime temperature tonight. It's going to be an awfully sticky night tonight. Temperatures not getting below 20, 22 degrees in places. We don't have air conditioning units here as they do on the continent, so we're really going to struggle tonight. The body will not be able to rest and recuperate before we go into another hot day, and that really puts stress on the vulnerable, the elderly, but even the fit and well people, hence these warnings in place. No, I get it. You know, hot temperatures at night, no air con, not much fun. Liz, a final thought. Um, a story out over the weekend about a solar flare uh, possibly affecting communication systems in Ireland. Uh, you know, I've watched other news channels where uh, commentators, not even scientists, commentators have been telling us that this, of course, is all an inevitable part of climate change caused by mankind. Uh, could it be that things like the sun do have an influence on temperature too? 
Well, the sun obviously drives our energy system, so it's there for us every day. But actually, if you look at the trend of solar uh, solar variation, solar flares over the last 100 years or so, there's nothing there to show that they've led to the increased global temperatures that we've seen. The only evidence that we really have that shows that global temperatures have risen by the amount they have is the greenhouse gas emissions that we as humans have put in the atmosphere. It really is down to human climate change. I obviously disagree with that, but uh, everybody's got their own opinion. Um, to me, it's all driven. It's driven by the sun. There's no doubt it's driven by the sun. But that's that's enough clips for now. Like you get an idea about the Tory leadership race and uh, the way Britain is at the moment. It's hot and sticky, and there's uh, there's a lot of politics going on. And lots of fun and games. So I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.